0: If you're looking for premium quality vitamins and natural supplements, New Roots Herbal has you covered. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 30 years, their dedication to quality and testing truly sets them apart. Each ingredient is rigorously tested by their ISO-accredited lab from raw materials to final products. So you get exactly what is promised on the label. Effective, pure ingredients, safe from heavy metals, pesticides, and toxic chemical solvents. Guaranteed. New Roots Herbal products are available exclusively at health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit newrootsherbal.com. U.S. residents can now find New Roots Herbal products on amazon.com. on to the show. So glad you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. If you listen to the show, you know I use the word self-care quite a bit. And I think for some people, they might think about, you know, bubble baths or facials or something. But self-care comes in a lot of different forms. The most important thing is that you do it. So we're going to really break this down today with Robert Allen. He is a growth coach, CEO of New Dimensions Consulting Services and author of Self-Care. Let's start the conversation. Hi, Robert. So glad to have you on Naturally savvy.
1: Thank you for having me on. I'm glad to be here.
0: What is your definition of self-care? Let's start there.
1: Okay, so self-care, as I defined in the book, is whatever fills your cup in your most needful space, which means that self-care in essence or in itself is progressive. It's not a one-size-fit-all. Uh, as we grow, as we mature, as we go through different stages of life, whether it's uh, uh getting married or having children or taking care of a parent, uh, what what a person would need to fill their cup will change and it will differ.
0: When did you first even get interested in self-care?
1: Well, I've, I've had a, a very interesting journey in terms of education and life experiences. Uh, I've had the opportunity to serve in various industries from education, uh, ministry, to uh, military, uh, and various businesses. And so, when I was in, when I was in college, um, I had just got accepted into the program, to the counseling program. And on the very first class where we met with the director, she said, your homework assignment is to go out and get a therapist. I said, that's odd. We're here to become therapists. Why do I need to go get a therapist? And so she said, Oh, young man, come on down. And, uh, long story short, she asked me to hold some books and I was holding books and at, you know, she didn't give me a time period and then they all collapsed and fell in front of the class. And she turned and looked at me and she was so smooth. And and she said, when were you going to tell me to stop? Giving me more books to hold. And I said, I didn't know that was an option. She said, you never said anything. She said, all of these people in the class, when, you were, gonna, when were you going to ask for help? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And her message to us in that class was, you cannot be in a helping field. And not be able to decompress and get things off of you. You have to have a space and time where you can decompress and you can talk and you can do those things. Uh, Now, fast forwarding, uh, I'm a board certified chaplain. And it was through chaplaincy where I found out where I really. First heard the word self-care, which meant that you have to care for you and. Behind that was, how can you care for others if you don't care for yourself? How can you enter into someone else's pain or uh, be empathetic when you don't know your own story? And so the chaplaincy training is really what engaged me in saying, I cannot be a trauma chaplain working in an emergency department, seeing the things that I see, do the things that I do and not care for myself.
0: Naturally Savvy Podcast is sponsored by Morphus for Menopause. That is so powerful. For people who don't know, what what is a chaplain? And in particular, what is a, a trauma chaplain?
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, chaplain is a very generic term used, uh, military, hospitals, police force. And so a chaplain, a board certified chaplain is someone who have went through intense training uh, to work in the hospital setting. And it's similar to like going through a track like a doctor, but you're doing it from the spiritual aspect. So you have residencies and units and work and all of these things that you have to do that's over and beyond uh, having a master's of divinity.
0: Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So, is that someone who also, like, comforts people when they're yes. dying or sick, mm-hmm. offers support, maybe offers support to the family, raised with the family? Now, what about for people who aren't religious? Can a chaplain still be there to be supportive? Absolutely. And-
1: Absolutely. Oh, uh, we good. get it all the time, spiritual, not a, uh, not religious. Some people who are spiritualists or Buddhists or things say, well, we're not religious. And even some of my best conversations and best terms of being with people have been agnostic people and who people who are atheists. The term chaplain is really to come alongside.
0: And that must be some heavy work. So like you said, you definitely need a way to decompress. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a drug counselor. Cause my mm-hmm. favorite book was this book called go ask Alice, which was based on this girl's diary in the sixties <laughs> or seventies. You remember that book? Yes, and I and do. She, yeah. Oh, I loved it. And she became a drug addict, but then I realized I just get too sucked in. And I'm Mm -hmm. you know, and I I just felt like I don't think I'd be able to balance it well. I just feel like it would just overtake me. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered, you know, what would have happened if I'd gone to that field, but I got into public health instead and and public health media. So which I love, but it's interesting, right? But I think there are different personality types that it might be too much. But even if it isn't, if you feel like oh, I can handle it, you still need that self care, right?
1: Absolutely. And so as a as a mental health Professional as well. I am, uh, uh, got my degree in counseling and licensed oh, off in right. uh, Las Vegas. Uh, you know, boundaries and making sure you know what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, cases that you can handle and you can't handle. Uh, and so I think as individuals, we need to do a little bit more homework for ourselves on what is our bandwidth, you know. How? What is our energy levels and what depletes us and what pours into us? So in the book, I go over um, my recipe, which are called the four R's.
0: Yes, please walk us through those. I can <laughs> ask about that. You beat me to it.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no, so, it's sorry. good. So the four R's, the first is to retreat. And retreat means to simply remove yourself from all distractions. It was funny. I was counseling a couple uh, Yesterday, and uh, the spouse said, I-, I typically get up an hour in advance and I have some me time and quiet time, uh, but I- I'm still stressed out most of the time. And I said, Well, sometimes it's hard to retreat in your home, sometimes it's hard to retreat on the job if that's your only tool in your toolbox. And so we went over, you have to have multiple tools in your toolbox. So to retreat means to get away from all distractions. Sometimes that include our common places because we can't relax in our common places. Sometimes it's like having the gym in the home and you really don't use it because the atmosphere isn't as inviting as going to the gym where you feel maybe a little bit more energized. So to retreat, to get away from all distractions. The second is to reflect after you have successfully got away and you can have that moment, then you can reflect what things are working well, what things are useful, what things are not so useful. Um, What do I like and what do I not like anymore? You know, uh, as we grow, we just don't like certain things, certain things just doesn't Don't make us happy anymore. Bring us that joy. So we have to change those things, but we have to be honest with ourselves. And that only comes through reflection. The third is to replenish. What fills your cup in your most needful space? What pours into you? Who pours into you? What depletes you? Who depletes you? You know, uh, I think we all have family members that we love, but they can be a, a lot. (laughs) a handful, and so you have to balance that, you know, and so what fills your cup, what activities, what things are on your bucket list you've never done because you said, I don't have time. Uh, I've lived in Michigan most of my life, and I've always wanted to go to the Upper Peninsula just to see waterfalls and things like that. Never made the trip. This was the first year that I said, I want to take the three-and-a-half-hour drive. I want to get there. And I took my son on the trip with me uh, because he was going off to college this year, his first year as a a freshman in college. And I said, I want him to learn self-care for himself. And so that to replenish what fills your cup. For me, it's water. Being in nature, it, it replenishes me. And then lastly, to restore. To be in a, after you have successfully retreated, reflected, refreshed, now you can set forward a set course with a fresh mindset, feeling good, and make better decisions. Whether it's business, whether it's life, you can then make better decisions because you're not making them from a depleted uh, uh, state.
0: Now, what was it like getting there and seeing the beauty in the Upper Peninsula?
1: Oh, it was... It was surreal. Uh, we ended up doing a glass-bottom boat tour of Lake Superior and seeing sunken ships and things like that, just things that I never would have imagined. Uh, saw eagles uh, on some island that was up there. Uh, it was it was just so, so beautiful. Uh, and we camped while we were up there. And so we came back, had a campfire. We wow. talked.
0: Oh my Uh, gosh, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Uh,
1: Another thing I love to do, I'm not the greatest at it, but I love to play golf. He and I, we play golf. So it was just a short weekend. It didn't cost much money at all. And that's another thing that people, that if I can give any advice to, you don't have to spend a lot of money. Right. Uh, You can do things that's just, you know, uh, with the couple that I was working with yesterday, They like hiking. They like parks. So I said, why don't you guys go on a a quest to to go to new parks every weekend? And they did. And they said, we had the best time ever. We found just a new hiking trail and it was a new experience. And so when you look at it, they were going to the same trail over and over again and it got kind of mundane and they were like, it's boring. (laughs) And so they started getting on each other's nerves. (laughs) but just just the change of scenery changed how they interact with each other and so that's why retreat is is very important
0: yeah it really is you know and everybody knows this i live in a town that's the third conservation land but it saves me like i love it and i don't go to the woods in the summer because the mosquitoes and the ticks are brutal Yes. The, rest, yes, the rest of the year. I don't care if it's 10 degrees, I'll go out for 20 minutes. Like I'm out there. Um, the other thing that saved me is I got my lifelong dream of getting a pool. I wanted a pool since I was a kid. We had one in our neighborhood. But <laughs> it was like the one place where it just seemed like everything clicked. There's a lot of mm-hmm. dysfunction in my family, just like every, you know, so many families. And but when we were swimming, it was like we were happy. Yes. And having this pool, oh my gosh i'm just i'm sad that the summer's over and, <laughs> <laughs> like can we just have a free heat wave please i know it's so selfish but <laughs> at any rate knowing those things and it's funny i use that word bandwidth a lot with my daughter because it'll be i'm i go to bed early and she'll be like mom you forgot to this or i need i said honey i don't have the bandwidth right now next time you gotta talk to me like by eight o'clock it's <laughs> by eight i'm going to bed <laughs> And sometimes she's like, you never have the bandwidth. And that's when I have to be like, oh, I've used this too much. Like, I I, I need more. No, really, like, I need more self-care. Because she's pretty draining, but I love her. Anyway, um, yes, yeah, so I digress. But I'm going to jump right into your book because you've got all these great chapters. And in the first chapter, you, you, talk, you talk about stress, and then you talk about what's shaping you. I like this, how does your job shape your identity? And I think for a lot of people, it's interesting, right? You meet someone, and one of the first things is, what do you do, right? What do you do? Mm-hmm. and that can be hard for some people, especially if you're out of work and things are, you know, chaotic, but for people who who do let their job shape your identity, what are some of the pitfalls of that?
1: Well, you know, we see it a lot, especially, uh, in, and I put the purpose in the back of the book because I want it to be a contrast, but we get a lot of people, let's say, who retire or who who job, especially what we've seen in COVID, who job ended, and they feel like they have ended Because all they had was Their career or their job So the people, uh, me included I've, I've not um, I don't exempt myself from this uh, But I've poured so much Of myself into a job Or career And uh, I remember in, in in Michigan I worked as a, a academic advisor And a teacher And at a charter school Loved the job I, It was I got to be with the kids. Teaching is my ultimate love and I was coping football. I had everything that I wanted and uh, the school decided, well, we're going to cut the high school and just go K through K through eight because it's better middle, I mean, better scores and things like that. And so in a blink of an eye, my whole world was changed. And so, you know, People who lose careers or have to shift or pivot or adjust, if our job it becomes who we are, then we get lost in the job. Then we, when the job leaves, we lose purpose. And then that leads to depression and all of these things. So what shapes us? You know, uh, in a lot of jobs, it's competition. You know, depending on what industry you're in, you know, it's cutthroat. And so you become a cutthroat person, even if that's not really who you are, but you allow that to shape you and that bec- that becomes your narrative. And so I just caution people in that chapter, don't get so consumed by your career that you lose you.
0: That is so, yeah, see, that's that's the thing. I think that's so true. There was a, a period of time before I was doing this, and I've been doing this for a long time, where I felt kind of lost it's like well, mm-hmm. I was a health educator, but mm-hmm. I kept getting laid off because people don't care about health education. The grants would be gone, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't anything that I did. Hopefully not. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you know, you work for nonprofits, and then the you know it's gone. And, mm-hmm. and it was just like, what am I doing? And and I I love being a health educator, but I can't. It's just not a stable thing. And what does that say about me? And was it? And it just brings up all this stuff, right?
1: And so you, you see it uh, for people who retire who pick up another career because I, I I can't sit at home. Um, I I can't have this free time. I have to do something. Uh you know, and and people who are forced to retire, you know, uh because of whatever reasons. And so we see these things, uh even you know, I'm former military in the military, you see it a lot. You know, someone who was used to leading 20, 25 years, got a medical discharge or just had to retire, you know, for, for aging or whatever the case may be, if they've been used to, uh, commanding soldiers and and doing a specific job and become, you know, very military mind (laughs) minded, it's hard to step away from that. And so, you know, I, I really try to encourage people. You are more than just a career you have a lot of experiences you have a lot of a wealth of wisdom and all of these other attributes that you can offer even if it's not in what you used to do
0: yeah that's so true. I'm um, in chapter 5, you look at mental health statistics and there's some it's, it's pretty rough right now. I mean, generalized anxiety disorder affects 6.8 million adults or 3.1% of the US population, yet only 43.2% are receiving treatment. You talk about panic disorder, social anxiety disorder, PTSD, different specific phobias, obsessive compulsive. And then with this environment that we're in now, Mm-hmm. I mean anxiety is just through the roof. So self care, so, right? It's more important yeah. than ever.
1: And so when you look at uh the numbers, those numbers were pre uh COVID. Mm. So if if you were to look at what those you know, if if you was to probably pull data now, I would say that you would have to go up at least anywhere between ten and thirty percent on those numbers. And so self care is you know, is not the buzzword. It's just not the bubble bath. It's really taking an intentional look at yourself and saying, what do I need? Um, you know, I, I think when people take better care of themselves, um, they're able, even for, I'll give example for my mother. My, uh, like you, my mother, my aunt died, I want to say almost 20 years ago. And my cousin has cerebral palsy. So he is about 46 years old. My mother has been taking care of him for 20 years. And we constantly tell my mother, you have to take care of yourself. You have to go and and live and and things like that. The family will come around and support you and assist. But she feels this guilt. Only I can take care of him this way. And only I can be the best, uh, caregiver for him. And so now she's getting older. Uh, she's in her mid seventies. And I said, my, how much life are you missing because you won't care for you? And so it's, it's close to home too.
0: Yeah. What did, did she, how did she react?
1: She, she didn't say anything. Uh, For a while, she paused and said, well, you're right, I do. Um, Now, acknowledging it and then actually applying it (laughs) to (laughs) two different things. Um, But she's, you know, she's getting up in age. And so she's realizing that she's not going to be able to, to do it much longer. And that, you know, some of the things here's here's the really Crazy part, before my aunt passed away, she was looking at getting my cousin placed into a care facility um, because she said, you know, it was a lot and things like that. And she needed additional help. So a lot of my mom taking care of my cousin was to pay homage to her sister, um, you know, maybe out of guilt and some other Family dynamics, uh, you know, all family have different dynamics. And so when we look at these things, you know all of these things the story that we tell ourselves really plays uh, uh, into how we care for ourselves.
0: That's true. I hope she can make the change. I know how hard it is so when you're you feel like you're the only one. I want to jump into the two types of healthy coping skills. Talk to us about these.
1: You know, when I when I was writing the book, I was going over coping, and I'm like, I re- I really don't like the word. <laughs> you we're know, we using the mental health a lot, and, I, and as I was writing, I'm like, I, I I really don't like coping, uh, like that anymore. And so I, I give an example in the book about a a mother who has a, a child and the child has asthma. The The child is running around and, you know, the mother can tell that, you know, they're beginning to wheeze and it's time to stop and to slow down uh, because they need that extra time. And the child want to go, no, I want to just play with the other kids. I just want to play with, you know, my cousins or whatever the case may be. And, you know, when you have asthma, a lot of people who have asthma are used to the rescue inhaler. I'll just take a a couple puffs and I'll keep on running. Well, here's the thing. The child who learns their body and know how far they can go begins to use the rescue inhaler less because they know their body. The rescue inhaler is exactly what it is. It's what is, it's an emergency It's used for emergent, You know, response to uh, the symptoms of asthma. And so when we look at coping skills, what unhealthy coping skills are we using? Are we relying too often on the rescue inhaler instead of learning our body knowing when to stop and slow down? So I think coping skills or coping techniques or however we want to use that word, I think they're good. As long as they are not our crutch, and then some coping skills. Let's just be honest; are not healthy. You know, some people cope by eating. Some people cope uh drinking, substance Rex. abuse, uh, sex, uh, <laughs> when <I was> single. <laughs> smoking, partying. You know, they use these as unhealthy coping uh, mechanism or coping skills, and it doesn't in time it, it doesn't lead them down a a path that is healthy for them we'll just say that and so learning how to use coping skills where they don't become a crutch or you become so dependent on that particular skill that you have no other tools in your toolbox and so what we have to Get to a place is we have to learn how to have more tools in our toolbox to deal with whatever emotions we have. I heard a talk yesterday, and this it was a psychologist. Uh, with everything that's happening over in Afghanistan and things like that, I was on a peer support group uh, to offer care to veterans, and what the psychologist said. As a soldier we were taught one primary emotion and that's anger. And anger fueled everything. Anger fueled, you know, if if you didn't perform well in whatever way, use that anger to go to go harder. If you didn't do this right, use that anger as fuel to to you know, do this better. And he said what well, we didn't learn Is how to have any other tools in our toolbox outside of anger. And so when we apply that to life, you know, what is our primary tool in our toolbox? And is that our only go-to tool? Or have we learned over time that, and that's what self-care is, learning what different tools and resources can aid you in being the healthiest version of you?
0: Absolutely. And that's why I like that you get into (laughs) into (laughs) problem-focused coping skills and emotional-focused coping skills. What are the difference is?
1: So emotions, you know, is how we feel, (laughs) you know, uh, but then getting to like root cause analysis and, and coping skills, understanding why. We do what we do. Understand why we feel the way we feel. So asking yourself the five whys. Why do I feel this way? Why do I do this? Why? Uh, asking yourself those hard questions help you get to, oh, well, this is the reason why I do that. And this is the emotional responses that uh, uh, is triggered throughout that. So understanding, you know, what is driving you? Is it something a root cause or is it something... That's just very emotional or are they connected to one another?
0: And it's interesting, too, because your next chapter is on habits or is it a <laughs> habit?
1: <laughs> and so that, and that's when we talk about coping skills becoming the habit or unhealthy habits that you maintain over over your life
0: i like to, I wanted to mention at the end of each chapter, you have a reflective pause. And in this one, have you supplemented coping mechanisms as self-care? Have your coping mechanisms been masked? If so, in what way? That's an interesting question (laughs) about the mask. Talk to us about that.
1: So, well, one, the reflective pause for me is uh, 60% of the book.
0: Yeah, I love the reflective pauses.
1: I have people who have read the book. And said, the book is good. I said, did you do the reflective pauses? Well, no. And I've challenged them to go back. And those who did go back said it was night and day. They said the book was really good information and, and, you know, just conversation, how it was written. It was light and airy. But when they went back and did the reflective pauses, they said it really challenged me. And I didn't. It was the first time I got really intimate with myself and my own story. Now, uh, the mask, for me, I'll use me as an example. I use work and being busy as my mask. Uh, productive, being productive and being successful was a mask to underlying hurt. And so for me, um, when I was hurting or I felt a certain way, Go out and get another degree or or uh, just keep yourself busy. Um, Growing up where I grew up uh, in the inner city of Detroit, uh, one of the things that was instilled in me, too much idle time is the devil's workshop was something that was consistently said, which translate to always keep yourself busy. So that was ingrained in me. What was not ingrained in me was how to stop and how to slow down. And that it was okay. So a lot of these things that we have or that we feel we have to do is cultural. Some of them uh, are, you know, based off, you know, where we're from and and our ethnic background and some of the traditions that's passed down through those. Uh, Whether it's Middle Eastern, um, uh, African American, Asian, the whole gamut. So uh, uh, cultural influences absolutely pay um, a role in how we care for ourselves. Um, If you are in a um, Hispanic or Latino family, you're the oldest girl, you are expected to be a pseudo-mother for the rest of your siblings. And so you, as a kid, you have school, but then you have responsibilities, almost like a mom, to take care of your siblings. And so where does that child learn how to care for themselves? How many people have been in a pseudo from all uh, ethnicities been in pseudo parent roles where they couldn't play on the basketball team or the football team or in band because they had other responsibilities? So they're taught at their most youngest age that you have to take care of family responsibilities first and all of that other stuff is extra. And they don't learn how to care for themselves. They learn how to stay busy and how to manage responsibilities well.
0: Well, it's funny because that was me. My mother was chronically ill and my sister and I had to take care of her. And it was, I remember like my two best friends, they would wait on my front lawn for like maybe... They'd stay, like, half an hour, and then an hour, and then after, like, an hour or two. I mean, they were really sweet. I'd look out the window. I'm like, oh, I only have five more chores, or my mom just needs this carrots peeled, and then this that whatever. And eventually, they would leave, but they, they stuck it out. But, yeah, I couldn't just – I didn't have that freedom to just run around and play and do stuff like most kids. It pretty much – stunk <laughs> a lot so, of resentment. We'll have, to so, have a session.
1: <laughs> absolutely, I'm here for you. And so when we look at those things, just just pulling from your story, um to go from not being able to experience certain things to uh having to care for your daughter and being that role of caregiver again. Yes. Uh and then the passion and the love of having uh uh Health education and do I have a job this week? Not this and that. So it's a lot of adjusting, a lot of a lot of things. And so when I when I hear your story, you say I finally got the pool. <laughs> the pool, <laughs> 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 you know. See, so you get uh,
0: it. Other people are like, "Are you just bragging about?" Your- no, I'm telling you, this is yeah. like the ultimate self care, happy time thing that feeds me.
1: And see, and that, and so. I love when you say that. So a lot of times we're so uh, influenced by what other people think. Well, that's not really self care. Well, that's not self care to you, but it's self care to me. And I even write in the book because generally I'll say self care is something that you need to do alone for you. However, in the book I talk about introverts and extroverts. And that's why I say, Self-care is whatever you need to fill your cup in your most needful space. So for the introvert, they may actually need to move out of their comfort zone to be at a concert around people uh, and and feel alive in a different way because they've been isolated for so long. Uh, Consequently, the the, uh, extrovert is the one who would probably need to withdraw because they're used to being around people all the time. And so, it could differ from person to person.
0: Yep, Yeah, absolutely. And what I love is in the book, I mean, you talk about physical self-care and mental self-care. And for me, the pool is both, right? Uh Uh And I think that's what's so important. And it's also the emotional self-care that you talk about. Talk about a little bit about each one of those
1: okay so physical uh, self-care what are you doing for yourself for me um, and I was just using me for example sure. um, I love to work out um, when I have high stress or um, it's it's hard for me to shut my my mind off sometimes uh, i a, a person a type personality and things like that I'm, I'm a planner I love things to be a certain way and you know uh, and so for me it's hard to shut my brain off Um, and I need a a release of some kind that I find inviting, enjoying. So I love going to the gym. Uh, some people love running, you know, some people like yoga, (laughs) yoga hurt, uh, but whatever is going to be physical for you. Um, I have a, a good friend of mine who went skydiving. Oh my! He said he's been scared of it all his life. He never thought he'd do it, and he said it's something that I needed to do. Wow! And did it, and I was just like, "That's your that's that's all you." <laughs> uh, Don't invite me. <laughs> right, right. And so it's going to differ for for people. Whatever that physical, but you have to get your body moving in a way to be able to uh, release some sort of energy in a healthy way. Now mentally. What allows you to, to calm your mind? In college, I had a, uh, a professor uh, who gave us an assignment. She said, go to the park or anywhere that you find comfortable, and you can't use any electronic devices, and you have to stay there for hours, hour or a few hours. I I've thought about blowing off the assignment and say I did it and writing a paper. But I said, no, I can't be dishonest. I really have to do this. <laughs> so I went to a park. Um, no electronic devices. The only thing we could have was like a Bible. Uh, and that was the first time. And I was in my late 20s at that time. But that was the first time that I can really say that I, my mind had actually shut off. I began to look at the birds differently. The skies just seem more blue. Um, I just started to be more aware. And so we need that space. And again, that's part of the retreat. We need that space where we can just really just be. <laughs> and so uh, in a world that's so fast-paced and you, it's so competitive and you always have to do it doesn't allow you to be. And so you have to be intentional in saying, no, I'm not going to do this, that, that. That's why I said the, the art and the power, melt. No. no, I'm not going to do these things because I'm going to care for me. And then emotionally, the mental and emotional part are heavily connected. If you are stressed out mentally because you just, you, you're spread too thin. <laughs> uh, you're giving energy to everything. Uh, then emotionally, You know, you're going to be more aggravated. You're going to be more irritated. Uh, You're not going to be the happiest person to be around. Uh, I'll tell you, my wife uh, and I, when I'm stressed out or I, you know, have a lot going on, my wife will say, I think it's time for you to go to the gym. And I'll say, What? She's like, I think you should go to the gym. And I'll be like, Okay, I'll go to the gym. I'll come back. I'll come back a happier husband. Uh, If I would have stayed there, um, my wife and I, we have a really good relationship. But if I would have stayed there, I probably would not have been the the most pleasant person been around. Not that we would have argued or anything, but I just probably wouldn't have been pleasant to be around. And so the physical, the mental affects the emotional. And then we also talk about the spiritual for those who are spiritual. um, You know, how does your faith inform you? You know, how do you engage your faith? How do you spend that that time alone to embrace God or whatever you consider your higher power? Um, and so each one builds upon the next.
0: Yeah, it does. I also like in the book that you talk about accountability partners. So mentors and
1: accountability partners. Um, we'll talk about accountability accountability partners first. Accountability partners are they're natural therapists. They don't necessarily have, they shouldn't be a best friend either. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a best friend, uh, but it's someone who you give permission to check you and to, uh, speak to whatever portion that you give them, uh, uh, the RAM to speak to. So for instance, I'm not the most patient person. (laughs) (laughs) And so I have an accountability partner who works with me with my patients. Um, we, we call, we check in, we talk, uh, and they'll say, Hey, tell me about a couple of times where you felt like you wasn't patient. What was going on? Things like that. They do not replace a therapist. These are just people who know you well, and that you allow to speak to you and help you, you know, meet your goals. Uh, mentors are people that you seek out who are, have made it to a place that you would like to be or uh, places and achieve things that you would like to achieve. So I think we lack mentors and accountability partners. It has to be healthy boundaries between both. With a mentor, um, I have several mentors, and the way that I got one mentor was out of a tragedy. During the October one shooting uh, in in uh, Las Vegas, I was a chaplain at a, as a at a hospital, and we were in a trauma room. And we've seen a, a gamut of things. Uh, the person came down from corporate uh, weeks later just to offer care to us. And this was a person who uh, was, you know, at, at a Catholic hospital was not Catholic, but sat at a very high place. in in the company. And after caring for us, I said, look, you amaze me. Um, I want to be where you are at one, you know, at at some point, would you be willing to mentor me? And he did. And he actually ended up writing one of the four words in the book.
0: Yeah, that was beautiful.
1: (laughs) And so that was a relationship that I sought out. And then there was guidelines to it. It was a monthly check-in. There was homework given to me. There were responsibilities that I had.
0: God, that's really great. You know, we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask. I'd like you talk about, uh, you have to figure out who is actually a cup filler in your life. I think we know who is a cup spiller. I, maybe I just made that up. I don't know. Are you a cup filler? Or are you a cup spiller?
1: Uh, I like it. I like you. it. That's a new thank jingle. You.
0: I like to break into song. So, tell, so yeah, because I think I can think, but sometimes it's complicated because I have some people in my life who are kind of both right? Um, but what do, you, what, what do you want to feel with your cup filler? Like they're just being supportive or they're listening or talk to us about
1: that. Well, see, it's all about timing too. So if, if let's say your cup is running over and you're, you're full. You may be a little bit apt to be around someone who may deplete you a little bit, but you have the energy and the bandwidth to be around that person. Uh, some people are just ne- negative Nancy's, Right. And so being around them, you just, oh, (laughs) and so (laughs) you don't want to be around that particular person if you're depleted. Yes. And so realizing, again, what you need in your most needful space. So in your most needful space, you don't need someone that's going to deplete you. You need someone that's going to feel feel you uh, uh, and, and pour into you. And so knowing you again, it goes back to the asthma no you have to know what your body needs when it needs when it needs <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is true well robert this has been great i have another show i want to have you on it's called active allyship it's more than a hashtag and i think especially uh, with all the the things going on In the world right now, and especially around race and the trauma and living with that trauma every day. You know, my co-host, Sunny, is a black woman and she talks about, you know, there's another shooting and you're supposed to just show up at work and act like everything's fine. But there's, you know, so if you want to come on that show, I would love that. I think this would be so helpful. Um, Your book is amazing. Self-Care, Let's Start the Conversation. Robert Allen. Is there anything you'd like to add? And then I can't wait to have you on Active Show.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, for, for any of the listeners who would love to get the book, they can go to uh, www.rwallenbooks.com. Uh, there you can find an array of uh, different uh, things from shirts and cups and different stuff. So uh, if you fe- feel free, go to the website, poke around, uh, and remember, the time is now to invest in you. The time is now to invest in you. So please practice your self-care and um, you matter. You absolutely matter.
0: Oh, you are awesome, Robert. I've so enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on Naturally Savvy. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It felt like I was just having a conversation yes. over coffee. So
0: thank you. Awesome.